if he was, then it's worth looking at. If he is who he said he is, then surely that's worth looking at um, and exploring for ourselves. And David has shown us these last couple of weeks that um, actually it's very clear that Christ does identify himself as deity. In David's first talk, a great talk just about uh, who Jesus is and, and that he is the son of God. And that the challenge, therefore, to us of who do you say that I am? And last week, looking at if, if Jesus is who he said he is, then actually, surely that demands a response from us. We either say, C.S. Lewis said, we either say he's stark raving lunatic and the worst liar that has ever lived, or he is who he said he is. And if he is who he said he is, then that requires something from us, a response from us. And so this week, I want to carry on the series um, and really... Uh, challenge us about how we get to live in view of who Jesus is. That actually we get to live a new way to be human because of who Jesus is. That because of who he claimed to be, we get to re- live radically different. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in two, two uh, passages this morning. We're going to be in Matthew 1 and Luke chapter 2. So if you p- keep a finger in Matthew 1, we'll come to that in a little while, but we're going to start off in Luke chapter 2. So in the New Testament, and if you're a Christian in the room today, you're allowed to use the contents page. You're not less spiritual for trying to use the contents page. And if you're not a Christian, then uh, you get to eavesdrop in on what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And there's a Bible over there if you want one. You can take that. That's our gift to you. Um, but I just want us to play this quick video just to set the scene for this morning, if that's okay. Happy Christmas, everybody. Some of you are thinking, how long did I sleep last night? (laughs) It is only the end of May, don't worry. But um, I couldn't resist the fact that we are doing a a series on the life of Jesus. And at the end of May, we're going to be looking at the birth of Jesus. And so it's all out of season. um, But actually, I'm praying that that will give us some fresh eyes. And I wonder if you wish it could be Christmas every day. Clearly not. The stress, the strain, the family, the food, the feuds. Do you, do you, I mean, I, I kind of live in this thing of, do you know what? I really love Christmas. I love the build-up around it. I love all the stuff to do with it. And uh, I love, I mean, I remember growing up and thinking, yeah, it's, I'm always told by preachers it's about the presence, as in the presence of God, not the presence under the tree. But I'm like, that's great. Jesus is really important, but I love the presence. I love the gifts. Uh, I love just opening all those presents on Christmas Day. And we were forced as children to wait until mid-afternoon uh, to open our gifts because it was my, it's my mum's birthday on Christmas Day. And so, um, I mean, that impacted her and, to be fair, we all suffered because of it. Um, I blame my, gr- my grandparents. But they, uh, uh, so sh- we had to do her birthday in the morning 
when we woke up, it was mum's birthday, and we were allowed to open one small gift each, me and my sister, one small gift, because we had to take it to church with us, and you weren't allowed to take a big gift, because you weren't allowed to look prideful, and you weren't allowed to look like you had loads of money, so you'd take a small little gift, so I remember one year I took, um, I, I liked having honey on my toast, and so my mum and dad thought, as a small little gift we can give him, it's one of those honey spoons, you know the things with the cuts in them, I'd never seen one before, but that's the gift I was allowed to take to church, was this honey spoon, I mean everyone else has got transformers, I'm like, yeah, I've got a honey spoon, um, and that's what we took to church. So then we'd have church. It was mum's birthday, then church. Then we'd get back and it was lunch. So there would always be the, the tension of lunch. Oh, God bless that time. Um, <laughs> where you hear the stuff going on in the kitchen. I think, I'm just going to keep away. Um, and so then we'd have lunch. So we'd eat lunch together. And then by the time we'd done all that, it was the Queen's speech. We had to sit down. And it was the most boring 10 minutes of my life. It felt like it was 24 hours, not 10 minutes. quite like the Queen's speech now. But as a nine-year-old, it just felt really dull. And you just wanted to open your presents. And then at 10 past three... On the 25th of December, we were allowed to open our Christmas gifts. But it was always the film that I wanted to watch. Like it was going to be Back to the Future Part 2. And I wanted to know what was going to happen on the second part of Back to the Future. And so I would always be opening gifts, thinking, oh, I'm missing the film. And so the whole thing for me of Christmas was always about wanting stuff. And yeah, all right, I might be selfish. I might be um, commercialism and all that kind of stuff. But that for me was Christmas. And I loved it. And it was all about family. And it was all about gifts and all that kind of stuff. But I wonder if you really do wish it could be Christmas every day. Interesting thought, isn't it? Not just to celebrate Christmas every day and, and, and do the church thing and do the Christmas meal thing, but I mean actually what Christmas really means and what the birth of Jesus actually says to us here today in Stratford-upon-Avon in the 21st century on the 26th of May. Hopefully you found Luke chapter 2. Let's just read verses 1 to 7 together. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her first son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room no place for them in the inn. Let's just pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity that your word isn't just about seasons and times, although it is, but it also is about where we're at right now. And we can read stories like this that are so familiar to us. And God, we ask Holy Spirit, will you just come and speak into our lives? Speak into our lives today. I just pray that hearts would be open to hear you and that we'd become more like you and get to live, love, and look like you because of your work in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I wonder how you picture this scene that we've just read, that, that classic nativity scene. Maybe it's something like this. That kind of, um, uh, what, what they call it, uh, advent calendar kind of look or Christmas card look. You know, very clean. The animals are all being well behaved. Uh, not one doing a cheeky little anything anywhere and... Um, there's a halo around. I mean, Jesus is looking stunning there, isn't he, with a lovely little halo around. I wonder if this is the image that you have of the nativity. It's funny because as growing up, um, my, the, the minister of the church that I went to had a real heart for China and would travel to China a lot. So on the wall of our church was a painting of the, of the nativity. It wasn't this exact painting, but it looks something like this. Fascinating, isn't it? A Chinese Jesus. It's like, 
I'm sorry, he had blue hair and, no, blonde hair and blue eyes. But for some cultures, this is the image that they carry. For other cultures, I've seen pictures like this when I've been traveling to, to Africa. That the nativity scene looks more like this. I find that fascinating. Because part of our identity, part of our culture, is that we take this moment and we make it something of who we are. This is the, the moment of the incarnation. And for me, this is what the incarnation is all about. Big theological word, the incarnation. The very fact that God has come to us. That God moved into our neighborhood. And the very fact that we get to read this book in our own language is because of the incarnation, I believe. That our foundational to our faith is that God has come to us. Not that, that God is up some mountain somewhere. And actually that we've got to just make sure we find the right path. Because we're from the wrong path then goodness knows what's going to happen. But we've got to find the right path to get up the mountain to be able to get to God. Or as some and many probably believe is that actually it doesn't really matter because all paths lead there anyway. That's a very prideful thought. That I'm able in and of myself to find my way to God. But foundational to Christianity is actually that God is no longer up the metaphorical proverbial mountain. He has come down and he's saying, do you know what? In, in Jesus, the man, God, the 100% man, 100% God, he is going to walk with us and lead us. For he is the way. And he will lead us home. It's the incarnation. And it breaks down cultural and racial barriers. And it's for everyone. Chinese, African. British. It's because of this very moment that we've just read, the incarnation, that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, John's gospel calls him the Word, who was with God but became flesh, was conceived in the womb of a woman. He is God. It's pretty out there, isn't it? I mean, just, just for those of you that have been Christians for years and we've read this, and I've read this story um, 21 years that I've been alive on this earth. Yeah. I've read it 20, no, I've read it 35 times. I've had it read to me at least 35 times. Probably more so at the various different services. And we just read it like she was with child and she gave it. Let's just ponder for a moment the craziness of this moment. The circumstances that, that this, this conception, it involved no man. It was by the Holy Spirit. I mean, the world thinks we're bonkers for thinking that anyway. And then the circumstances that are surrounding it. This is not Little House on the Prairie. This is not bland and inoffensive. If you like Little House on the Prairie, I apologize, but it is bland and inoffensive. Another thing I was forced to do growing up as a child, having an older sister. You will watch Little House on the Prairie. This is not like that. This is, this is so offensive. There's nothing neat and fuzzy about this. This is not a picture postcard, picture Christmas card image of the birth of Jesus. So we need to stop and consider the claims of this moment on history. And when we do, we have to say that there is nothing that is summed up in a Christmas card that we can buy from early October onwards that sums up this moment. Absolutely nothing. So there's two of the Gospels, Luke and Matthew, that spend any kind of length of time on this part of, of the narrative of Jesus' life. John mentions it, as I've said, but I mean, he's like an artistic type. He would fit well in Stratford. So he's like, the word was with God and the word was God. And it's all a little bit poetic. And, but, but Matthew and Luke, they are really zoning in on it. Mark doesn't even mention it. He gets straight into John the Baptist in the wilderness. But Luke, we've got some detail. Luke was a doctor. He's like, he's a details kind of guy. 
he's writing. And Matthew, he's clearly writing to Jewish believers who had grown up understanding their scriptures and how the, the prophecies of the Old Testament were saying there's going to be some Messiah, some saviour of humanity that's going to come and rescue his people. And so Matthew's speaking into that. And so Matthew 1, if you just flick across to Matthew 1, we'll come back to Luke in a minute. But Matthew 1, it's got, it starts with this long list of names that so many of us skip to try and get to the, the interesting narrative part. But actually, if we just ponder that list for a moment... I think it starts to unpack something because what I want to do is I want to look at Matthew's account and then we're going to look at Luke's account and we're going to bring the two together because I think they inform each other about something that will impact our life, about what it means to follow Jesus today. Matthew 1, it starts with this list of names. He starts with this genealogy because he's writing to these Jews and he wants them to get the understanding that this is not just some random guy. This guy has a heritage. And that actually, he is not some member of an ongoing family, but actually, he's a significant member. And actually, if you look at Matthew 1, verse 17, it says, So from all the generations, from Abraham to David, were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation or the exile to Babylon were another 14 generations. And from the exile to Babylon to Christ were another 14 generations. And there's three groups of 14. You need to understand that to the Jewish reader, numbers are really important. Because you could say there's three groups of 14, or you could actually say there's six groups of seven. That's interesting. Seven is this number of completion. And so we have six lots of seven, and Jesus' name comes at the end of that, the start of completion, the start of seven. He's coming to the end of the list, and he's saying, guys, this is what we've been building towards. This is the moment. This is the promised Messiah that has now come. This birth that we've been waiting around for, this is the moment. From Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, Hezekiah, Josiah, Jerubbabel. I thought that was an easier way of doing it than reading the whole list. All of these names, right through to Joseph, the husband of Mary. Boy, this is some heritage. And the child comes at the end of this line. God's anointed the long-awaited Messiah to fulfill all these layers of prophecy and say, this is the climactic moment. But Matthew knows that this moment is a little bit weird. Let's be honest. This is a little bit strange, what I'm about to write. This is all just, uh, I mean, you've got to have faith to believe that God would work in this way. That this woman is claiming to be a virgin. And she's saying it's not by her fiance, Joseph. It's through the Holy Spirit. And Matthew is inspired to write this genealogy. I believe the Holy Spirit has inspired Matthew to write this genealogy, this list of names. And this list of names reveals that actually God's not only working in the moments of chaos and confusion and in the mess of Jesus' birth, but actually that's how, Jesus is, uh, that's how God has always been working. Because you can read this list of names and you think, oh, great, Judah. Great means praise. Great solid name, Judah. But did you know that Judah slept with his daughter-in-law, Tamar, that he one day decides, I want to sleep with somebody, let's get a prostitute. I mean, this is in here, okay? This is like X-Factor, not X-Factor. X-rated, that's the word. Simon Cowell was sat there judging it. No, he wasn't. 
This is X-rated stuff. I mean, he decides one day, I want to have a prostitute. I'm going to go and get a prostitute. And this woman comes in with a veiled face. He has no idea that it's his daughter-in-law, Tamar. So he sleeps with this woman and she ends up getting pregnant, though Judah doesn't know this. And so the town, they figure out that this girl has got pregnant and they bring him to bring her to Judah and say, this woman, she's been a prostitute. And Judah says, condemn her to death, even though she's related to me. But she, he, what Judah doesn't realize is that Tamar has got a load of things that belong to Judah to prove this baby, it's yours. I mean, what a hypocrite. Sleeps with a prostitute, then condemns a prostitute to die, and he's here in the list that builds up to this climactic moment of God's plan for humanity. Boaz, another name on the list. And guess what? Son of another prostitute. Rahab, prostitute who helps Israel to, to get that city of Jericho. She gives birth to Boaz. Hardly the perfect family line. And then consider David. Oh, David, a man after God's own heart, the shepherd king, what an amazing guy. Yeah, he was. But there was a moment when he should have been at war, when he's gazing across the rooftops and he sees a woman bathing, looks and thinks, I want. And as the king, he wants, he gets. And so he sleeps with this woman and she gets pregnant and to try and cover it up. He gets her husband to come back from the front line and to try and to sleep with, her, with, with his wife. And it doesn't happen because he's too loyal to the king. Long story short, it ends up that Uriah the Hittite is killed. And it's just one problem after another. David, the king, part of this family line. And millions of Christians have stood at the front end of this New Testament, reading this gene genealogy as the search for the king of kings. And we have to admit that in the midst of it all is chaos, confusion, and mess. It shouts with a loud, clear voice that Jesus is, yes, the fulfillment of, of a millennia of God's promises and purposes and plans. But the way he works is not always as we would like nor as we would expect. That God works in the mess and the chaos of your life. Matthew plants the birth of Jesus amongst this history of chaos. And he does it so, so brilliantly because Matthew 1.18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, he was, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. I mean, can you imagine reading that? For the, I mean, after that moment, we should have the doof, 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 of EastEnders. That is that kind of storyline. I mean, what? You're claiming this guy's the Messiah and this is how it happened. I'm sorry, what? Circumstances were less than favorable. We've got a girl. Most of you will know this from other talks, but a girl who scholars believe was probably around 15, 16 years old, a teenage girl. It wasn't unheard of for girls of 12 years old to be betrothed. A young girl who is claiming that the baby that is inside of her is not from her fiancé. It's from the Holy Spirit. Do you know there was a death sentence over her life? Because for any girl that claimed to be a virgin and then was betrothed and found out not to be a virgin, she would be brought before the people and stoned to death. That's the reality that Mary's living in. And then comes this long, arduous journey. As they travel for this census, five plus days, and they arrive in Bethlehem and everybody swarmed back to their own towns and there's no room anywhere for them. Jesus is born and placed in a feeding trough where there's no room this is mess, isn't it? This is chaos. It's funny, isn't it? But I can think that God is blessing me and that my life is so full of joy when things are going as I want them to. 
God is good all the time, all the time. God is good because life is really good. God's happy with me. Everything's going swimmingly. But the minute I hit some chaos, the minute I hit circumstances that are less favorable, I'm like, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's like God's gone. God's not interested in me. God doesn't care about me. Because circumstances become a little bit chaotic. But Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus builds up to this climactic moment, this list of names. Even the Old Testament scriptures that Matthew uses. He uses a lot of them because he's writing to Jews and he's saying, look, I'm going to prove to you that your scripture is fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And so he takes all these passages from the Old Testament. But all of these passages are taken from moments of exile, moments of pain, moments of chaos. There's the bit where um, uh, Jesus and his family, they flee to Egypt. I'm sure you know the story. He's born and, and Herod finds out that this, this boy has been born claiming to be the king of kings. And he wants uh, all the boys, so he kills all the boys under two. And so uh, Joseph is, is warned in a dream and he flees to Egypt. Remember that moment? And they flee and spend some time in Egypt. And Matthew, he quotes Hosea 11, verse 1, and it says, and he arose, this is the Matthew, Matthew uh, 1, 14 and 15, it says, And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Listen to this. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. So Matthew is, is lifting Hosea 11 verse 1 and he's saying, look, proof of who Jesus said he is. But if you go back to Hosea and read the context of what Hosea is writing into, it's not that nice and it's not that rosy. Hosea is writing, actually, he's looking back at the pain and the disobedience of the people of God. And he says this in Hosea, he says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals and burnt images, sorry, and burnt incense to images. So Matthew is taking this passage under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's taking this passage that looked back at the disobedience of Israel. And how God had called his metaphorical son out of Egypt, out of slavery, and brought them into a place of freedom. And was trying to get the slavery out of them. But they were disobedient, constantly disobedient. And he says, you know, that passage was about them. But in reality, it's about Jesus. Because he's come out of Egypt. But he's the faithful son who will make a way for God's people to be rescued. But the context is pain. It is exile. Matthew does it again in, in verses uh, 17 and 18 of chapter 2. It's this moment where Herod is, is killing all of the, the children under two. It says a weeping and a wailing is going up. Again, Matthew is quoting from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, 15. And this whole chapter is about God's promise of salvation in the midst of exile. In the midst of pain. In the midst of feeling like God has left you and is no longer for you. And he uses this verse. These Old Testament verses, this genealogy is surrounded by pain. But they're used by Matthew in the midst of a complete mess to show that God is working, has been working, will continue to work in keeping his promises, acting in complete consistency with the content of his character. And yet it may not always look like you would like. But the truth is, life is tough, but God is good. And God works through the chaos and the confusion, and he can work a miracle in the mess that you are in right now. That's Matthew's account. 
Matthew's account just surrounded by chaos and confusion and mess. So in comes Luke's account. When you marry them together, I think there's something profound that I've never seen before that I just want to share with you. Luke's account. Two Gospels, Matthew and Luke, that cover in detail Jesus. And Luke's one, I think, reminds us consistently who Jesus is. Yeah, Matthew's saying it's confusion, it's chaos, that's the reality of life. And Luke says, yeah, that's right. But Jesus still works through it and he's still King of Kings and he's still Lord of Lords. For Luke, the birth story, it's so much more than just a birth moment. It's looking at something so much more. It's looking beyond the birth and it's looking at something that Jesus is going to come and do for the whole of humanity. And so there's some stuff in Luke that Matthew doesn't touch. And there's a whole group of people that actually were outcasts in society that Matthew doesn't talk about, but Luke does. And when you put it together, you see something that God is speaking into our lives. These social outcasts. This group that would have been at the least of the least. And in Luke 2 verse 8, it says this. It says, and at the same time, sorry, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping their watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, but behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly, this is like the backing band suddenly kick in. There was a whole multitude of angels of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and peace among those with whom he is pleased. Fascinating. Fascinating moment when you read it in view of what Matthew has been speaking into. The king of kings comes, but he's coming for a moment to to reveal something far greater than his birth. And it's seen in three gifts that this angel reveals. Three gifts that actually speak into the chaos and the mess and the confusion that we find ourselves in. You see in verse 10, it says, The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. There's a gift right there. Gift of joy that humanity is seeking and craving and longing for. And it says that joy comes direct from Jesus, not for a select few, but for all people. And then there's two other gifts in verse 14 with the background of this angelic choir saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Church, Jesus' birth reveals the purpose of his coming and it really does redefine what it means to be human. That this moment reveals that the Father is pleased with us. And out of the overflow of that comes a peace that bubbles up over into a joy. Three gifts. It reminds me of a verse in Romans. Romans 14 verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Three gifts. They say this sums up what the kingdom of heaven is all about. This is, this is there's a king of kings and he has a kingdom because all kings have a kingdom. And this kingdom is defined by three gifts. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit righteousness as standing before God that God is pleased with us that as you sit here right now 
God is pleased that because of Jesus, we are made right with God. You see, the birth is important. Birth's really important, but it's not the focus of the Gospels. If you just do a quick thing of maths, and, and let's just take logic that, that actually the stuff of the Gospels, what, is, what, spent, what you spend the most amount of time talking about is where the emphasis is. Just take that as a point of logic. Then actually there's two chapters in Matthew and two, well, two chapters, let's say, in Luke and a few verses in John. There is a combined four chapters in the whole of the Gospels that, that talk about the birth of Jesus. But let's just add up the last week of Jesus' life. Seven days. Those, those four chapters, by the way, they cover two and a bit years of Jesus' birth into his childhood and the escape into Egypt. So seven, that's, that's two and a bit years. Seven days. Let's just see how many chapters are covered in seven days. Matthew, it's eight chapters. Mark, it's six chapters. Luke, it's six, cha- six chapters. And John, it's nine chapters. Compared to a combined four chapters about Jesus' birth, you have got a combined 29 chapters about the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. The cross is the point at which we see the angels announcing his birth, but the cross is the point of it all. He says it to these outcasts. The very fact that these outcasts are the ones that get the announcement is the very fact that the, the cross is the focus. Because these shepherds would have been out on the fields, and he says they were out on the fields just outside the city. Do you know where the lambs were kept that were used for the sacrifice in the temple? They were kept on the fields just outside the city. So these shepherds were probably looking after the very sheep that would have been used in the temple for the sacrifice. It looks to the cross, even the announcement of who the angels are saying, this Messiah has come. It looks to the cross. He says, we've got good news for you people. And revealed in their announcement is what Jesus will do for humanity, which is make us right with God. He invites us to experience the pleasure of the Father. It's good news for all people that the Father is pleased with you. And you might be going through the worst of circumstances. It's like Matthew's gospel in your life. And you've got all of the genealogy and the birth of Christ and it's all wrapped up in one moment and that's your life right now. Just complete mess. And I feel this morning God wants to say to you, he is pleased with you. That's what this moment is about. And he's not pleased with you because of your performance. He is pleased with you because 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he who knew no sin became sin. So what? We could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Righteousness is about our right standing before God. It's about God saying, I am pleased with you. Why? Because of Jesus. I had a great week this week. I read, I read like four chapters a day of my Bible and I prayed for three hours a day. I'm doing really well this week, God. You're a little bit extra pleased with me today. No, no, I'm pleased with you because of what Jesus has done. Oh, you must be really mad with me this week. I looked at this. I thought that. I did this. God, you're really angry with me. No, I'm pleased with you because of what Jesus has done. And this birth announcement reveals the pleasure of the Father over your life, that none of us deserve the goodness But Jesus, who going to that cross, brought all of our error and all of our sin into one moment. And it's there upon him on the cross. And he dies with it. And as he dies, sin dies with him. But he doesn't stay in the grave with the sin. He three days later rises out and says, death and sin, you stay there. I'm conquering over it. So anyone who accepts what I've done, positionally, this is where you now are. The Father is pleased with you. See, the human condition is always looking 
for God to be pleased with us. That, that, fundamentally, that's what I think the striving of humanity is all about, that we want God to be pleased with us. And so we look in all kinds of different areas and we look in all kinds of different ways, not realizing that that is what our heart is seeking and longing for. And so we look for it absolutely everywhere and it never brings the pleasure that we need and the joy that we need. But Romans 14, 17 says, the kingdom of God, it's not about eating or drinking. It's not, all about, it's not about looking for stuff in the physical. This is a spiritual issue. That the problem with humanity is a spiritual issue. And it is the fact that humanity has no concept that the Father's pleasure is over their life. And that's why we get to live differently. That's why we get a new way to be human. Because every morning you wake up, if you've accepted what Jesus has done for you, you get to wake up and go, God, you're pleased with me. Life's a mess. Nothing's going as it should. But God, I got breath in my lungs. And with those breath, I'm going to praise you because you are good and you're pleased with me. And that's where it starts. But so many of us are looking for life to deliver pleasure and peace, not realizing that it starts in the place of knowing that the Father is pleased with you. That we want the joy and the peace. But every morning I have to wake up and say, God, I don't feel it. I'm not sure I believe it, but I declare that you are pleased with me. Because your word tells me so. That you've paid the price. It starts every single day. That on the days when it feels like everything's out of control, when the storm is raging and we feel lost at sea, when it feels like Matthew's gospel is our reality, we have to be reminded by Luke's gospel that informs the fact that he has come and when he came, he showed that I am now righteous in my standing before the Father. If we were in America right now, there would be an amen and a holler. Thank you. I'm going to preach for another four hours because it's so quiet. When we grasp this, it changes everything. Because actually when we grasp every day, I need to remind myself, this is who I am in Christ. This is who I am. This is who I am. That actually it starts to change us. And we start to get a peace on the inside that's promised. Peace on whom his favor rests. Peace for those whom God is pleased with. See, it starts with knowing that God is pleased. And the overflow of that is a peace that comes on the inside. That no matter what the circumstances, I have a peace on the inside. Because there is an assurance of who God is. Peace regardless of circumstance. And actually then there starts to bubble up a joy. That is not happiness. But maybe that's part of it. But there is a joy that knows I'm secure. I'm secure. <laughs> I'm secure. It doesn't matter what this life throws at me. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. I'm secure. I've got a God who's pleased with me. And out of that, there's a peace. And now I'm attaching my joy not to circumstances but to Jesus. And suddenly I, I can't help it. I've I just, just got a joy. I've just got a joy. I've just got a joy. Boy, does that change how we get to live. Boy, does that redefine what it means to be human. So I wonder, I want to ask the question again. Do you wish it could be Christmas every day? message of this sermon is I really do wish it could be Christmas every day. Because I really do wish that I could get into my head every single morning, God, you're pleased with me, but not because of, uh, of how holy I've been this week, but because of Jesus. Oh, I wish it could be Christmas every day. I need to be reminded of that every single day. 
Now the overflow of that comes a peace. Oh, I wish it could be Christmas every day. That bubbles up into a joy. Oh, I wish it could be Christmas every day. I really do wish it could be Christmas every day. Let's stand together. Let's just close our eyes as we stand together. You may be here today and, and, and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian or a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're like, you know, maybe, maybe I thought I was. And I thought I'd got it sorted and maybe I've been basing it on just my performance, but I've never actually accepted the performance of Jesus and that he was faithful, even to death, even death on a cross. It would be wrong of me in this moment right now not to, to give you that free will choice for the first time to say yes to what Jesus has done for you. And there's a transaction that takes place that in your simple free will choice to say, yes, I accept what he has done. That what his birth is a picture of, is a story of this restoration of a relationship between humanity and their creator. Maybe you need to come back to that place. You've made it about so much other stuff. And do something really, really simple as every eye is closed. I'm just going to count to three and just ask that as every eye is closed, just as an outward expression of what God is doing inside, you just raise your hand and you can put it straight back down. But it's just, it's almost like just confirming. So if that's you right now, I just ask you to raise your hand in this place. One, two. Amen. Do you know what? I'm just, the eyes are closed and you're not going to know, but there are hands up in the whole, all around this room. Those that are coming back to God and those that are maybe coming for the first time. So as these hands are raised right now, Lord, I just pray over each person here whose hands are raised. That there is a humble. I admit I've not got it all together. Maybe I've been trying. Maybe I've wondered. Maybe this is the first time I've ever, ever seen who Jesus is and what he is about. I ask you right now in this moment, Holy Spirit, come and flood your presence in their life. through their exercise of their faith. Will you come and reveal your pleasure over them? That God, in this moment right now, you are pleased with them because of the one they put their faith and trust into. Keep reminding them daily. Keep reminding each of us daily. I also feel the need to pray. For those that have no concept of this peace that comes knowing that the Father is pleased with you. That then leads to a joy that is not attached to circumstances. Maybe circumstances have reduced your picture of Jesus. That portrait of Christ is reduced because circumstances have got bigger and bigger and bigger. Maybe your circumstances have started to define the pleasure of the Father over your life rather than his word and what he has said. And peace has gone and joy feels like a distant memory. If that's you right now, I, I just ask you, whatever this means, you just open your heart right now to God. Maybe you need to say internally, God, I just I invite you right now into my life. Just speak into my life.
I wonder if there's others who have been searching peace and joy. God's saying, come back. Come back to that place of knowing my pleasure over your life. Just invite your Holy Spirit in this moment. Just start to work. Just start to reveal the Father's pleasure over his children. Come and break the chains that you're not worthy because you haven't performed well. Some of you even right now, your thinking is, yeah, that's good for the person next to me, but not for me. Christ came and died, yet whilst we were still sinners. Yet whilst we were still sinners. The Father is pleased with you. His face is towards you. His smile is over your life. God, I ask right now in this moment that that image, that portrait become stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger in people's lives. Just in this attitude of prayer, we're going to draw things to a close really soon. But just as we're praying and allowing God to minister, I'm going to invite you to come and take communion. Because we can't have the birth of Jesus without knowing the purpose of Jesus. And his purpose was to make you right with God. To reconcile humanity. And that's what this table is all about. This table is about a moment of saying, Jesus, the Father is pleased with me. Thank you. That's what this is about. So I want to invite you forward. And if you want someone to pray with you, maybe you just want to stand in this space here. We'd love to pray with you. Love to pray that you'd experience the pleasure of the Father, the joy of salvation. The peace that passes all understanding. So if you want to receive some prayer this morning, come and stand here. But we come and we gather around this table, his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. For the forgiveness of sins, for the reconciliation of humanity. And I pray, church, that we would live in the reality that it is Christmas every single day. So when you're ready, just come forward. Let's take communion together.